I'm absolutely mesmerized by the fact that we have become addicted to talking heads. We really have. We become addicted to these pundits and the so-called expert consultants they coming out of our ears on television. But my bigger amazement as I travel the world is how we in America manage to actually export this kind of media to the world. Everywhere I go, in Asia, in Australia, in Europe, and Middle East even, these talking heads on television 24-7. And I thought of the words of Mark Twain, who was a journalist himself. He said, when it comes to the news media, you have two choices. You can ignore it and be uninformed, or you can pay attention to it and become misinformed. Most of the news media motto is, get the facts first, we will distort them later. And I was thinking about how many people are being misled, and I thought of the story of a group of hikers who decided one day that they're going to hike the mountains of southern Kentucky. And so they decided to bring a number one expert, the best-known expert on that area, hiking in that area. So they hired him and started going up the mountains. And then after a few hours of hiking and walking around, they looked at his face, and he had a perplexed look on his face. And, and they began to worry, and, and sure enough, they discovered that they've been going in circles and they've been lost. Well, one of the hikers looked at the guide and he said, We heard that you're the best guide in the state of Kentucky. The guide said, this is just it. I'm afraid we're in Tennessee. (laughs) Too many people following wrong guides. Too many people getting their advice from the wrong source. Too many people getting their direction from directionless individuals. Too many people getting their cues from rudderless leaders. And they have become like that proverbial frog in the kettle. They're slowly dying, and they don't know it. When people cease to get their direction from the Holy Spirit of God, and the book that the Holy Spirit has authored, the Bible, they will wander away from the truth. Make no mistake about it. They will wander away from the truth. But do you know why I have talked to enough people to answer the question, not definitively, but I know from the people I talk to through the years. Some of them know that they're following some falsehoods. They really do. And the reason for that is because they really don't want to hear the truth. Because the truth convicts them of their sinful lifestyle. Because they find that the truth to be uncomfortable for their worldly pursuits. They find the truth to be a rebuke to their carnality. Bishop Fulton Sheen was the most popular Catholic evangelist on television throughout the 50s and the 60s. He really was. A remarkable speaker. I have watched him several times. He was to speak at the town hall in Philadelphia, in the city of Philadelphia. And he was staying in a hotel not very far from town hall. So he asked the concierge how far town hall was, and they told him it's not very far. I, you know, I told him where, and so he decided not to take a cab. He's going to walk to town hall, and he was not very familiar with the city, so sure enough, he got lost. And so instead of uh, risking being late for his meetings, 
he decided to get direction. <laughs> I know men have problems with direction. Now, as a guy who gets lost all the time, I have no pride in asking for direction. <laughs> Let me assure you. <laughs> well, Bishop Sheen saw a group of boys standing there on the street corner, and he asked, he said, boys, do you know where town hall is? And he said, yes. One of them said, sir, I can take you there. And so he was walking him to town hall. And as they were walking to town hall in Philadelphia, the young boy asked him, he said, sir, what, what are you going to do there? He said, oh, I'm giving a lecture. He said, oh, what about? About how people can get to heaven. Do you want to come? And the boy said, are you kidding? You don't even know your way to town hall. <laughs> Turn with me to uh, Exodus 14. And I want you to look at verse 19. And if you do have your own Bible, I want you to circle the word cloud. Circle the word cloud. This is very different from any cloud that you see on the sky. I'm going to explain that in a minute because of its vital importance. (laughs) In fact, it is mentioned, that word is mentioned in the Bible 58 times. And when you get to know what it means, it's going to bless your socks. Exodus 13, 21. The Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud and led them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, and they might travel day or night. Chapter 14, verse 19. The angel of the Lord who went before them moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud stood before them, and he moved behind them. By now, I am sure you want to know, right? What is cloud? What is that cloud? This cloud is like no other cloud they have ever seen before in their life, but they called it a cloud because they don't know what else to call it. It's like when we see a nuclear explosion, and we call it a mushroom cloud. It just looks like a a cloud and the shape of a mushroom. It's neither cloud nor a mushroom, right? It's the same way here. They called it cloud. Whatever that big, huge object was, it did two things for the Israelites. It protected them from the heat of the sun by day and the freezing temperature by night, and it provided them light while on the backside of it, as they crossed the Red Sea, it was pitch black. It was dark, so that the Egyptians cannot pursue them. So in order to get the Egyptians confused, it means that their enemy could not embark on night raids or a sudden attack during the daytime. And that is why this phenomena is just called cloud, a cloud. It was sometimes referred to as the glory of the Lord. Other times referred to as the radiance of the Lord. Beloved, listen carefully. That cloud became fully revealed in the New Testament as the Holy Spirit of God. This cloud was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. The angel of the Lord is no other than the pre-incarnate, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what you get here is the Holy Trinity— Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who coexisted in the Godhead before all worlds, are guiding God's people out of the slavery of Egypt and into the freedom of the living God. They were protected from the heat by day, 
They were protected from their enemies. They were protected from the freezing temperature at night. I'm getting ready to shout because I know what I'm going to say. (laughs) You're at a disadvantage. You don't know what I'm going to say. But listen to me. When you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and only Savior, His Holy Spirit came to dwell in you. But when you daily walk with Him in obedience to Him, the Holy Spirit continues to fill you so there will be more of Him and less of you, more of Him and less of you. And the Holy Spirit of Jesus is called paraclete in the Bible. Can you say it with me? Paraclete. I know in English it's translated the comforter. But the word paraclete is a whole lot more than getting a pat on the back and handing you a Kleenex, because that's what we think of a comforter. There, 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 right? Hand you a Kleenex. No, paraclete is an ancient word meaning warrior. The Greek soldiers went to battle in pairs. And so when the enemy attacks, they could draw their backs to each other back to back, in order to protect each other's blind side. And so, one's fighting partner was called paraclete. (laughs) And that is why I want to shout, because Jesus, who loved us to the end, did not leave us to life's battle alone. Jesus, who loved us to the end, did not leave us with our backs uncovered. Jesus, who loved us to the end, He gave us a battle partner to cover our blind side because that is why no one, no one could ever say, none of us can say, I'm alone or I am comfortless or I am vulnerable or I am isolated or I'm unprotected. For Jesus said, when I go to the Father, I'll send you the paraclete. He's your warrior. He's your warrior. He's your warrior. And he's got your blind side. And right on schedule, on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit of God came to the church in earnest in order for the first time to dwell permanently here on the earth and in order to indwell every new believer who would come in the last 2,000 years to surrender their life to Jesus Christ as their only Lord and Savior. What does that mean? It means that everyone who trusted the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, everyone who walks in obedience to Jesus, everyone who loves Jesus more than anything in life, everyone who is waiting for the return of Jesus can be absolutely sure that the Holy Spirit has your back. I want to tell you three things, and I hope you memorize them, about the Holy Spirit of God. The cloud, the Holy Spirit, was given as a sign of God's protection. Secondly, the cloud, the Holy Spirit, was given to us as a sign of God's presence. And thirdly, the cloud, the Holy Spirit, is given to us as a sign of God's provision. Protection, presence, provision. Can you say those three things with me? Protection, what a God we have. Without the cloud, The Israelites would have been toast (laughs) before they ever got into the wilderness. The cloud protected them from human enemies. The cloud protected them from natural danger in the wilderness. The cloud protected them from a hundred degree temperature in the daytime 
and it protected them from a freezing temperature at night. You see, desert temperature, it can literally drop 50 degrees between the maximum and the minimum. But the cloud was there also for whatever they might need. Listen to me. That cloud was large enough to cover two million people. Did you get that? Two million people coming out of Egypt. Except, uh-uh, is there an exception? Yes. Except those who choose to get away from that covering. Only those who stayed in the covering of the cloud continues to receive God's protection. Those who refused were on their own. Beloved, when God the Son gave His children, God the Holy Spirit, He gave Him in abundance. And by the way, don't ever call the Holy Spirit it. That is a terrible thing. People think He's a force. The Holy Spirit is a person. And in the Greek, He's in the third masculine pronoun. He is Him. When He gave Him, He gave Him in abundance. When He gave Him to us, so nobody could ever say, I don't have the protection of the Holy Spirit. I don't have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I don't have the constant presence of the Holy Spirit. The only time you do not experience the Holy Spirit all over you is either because you have quenched the Holy Spirit, and that is going directly against the Word of God, or when you grieve the Holy Spirit by premeditated, deliberate sinning without repentance. How can you tell if a person has the Holy Spirit all over him? I want to give you an illustration. Hopefully, it will make the point better than me trying to explain it. Back in the 1800s, as most of you know, D.L. Moody was a great evangelist. He didn't have a great deal of education, but he was a wonderfully used by God to rock two continents for Christ. D.L. Moody was invited for an evangelistic outreach in England. And so the pastors gathered together and trying to unite together in that invitation, and there was a lot of discussion. Those who were more snobbish than others said, uh, why do we need Mr. Moody? He's uneducated, he's not experienced. Who does he think he is? Does he think that he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? A young pastor rose up very gently and said, by no means Mr. Moody does not have a monopoly on the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. <laughs> what a testimony. I wish that would be said of me. And so, the cloud was a sign of God's protection. Secondly, the cloud was a sign of God's presence. God was with His people, and the cloud was a proof of that. It was a sign of His presence. Whenever they saw the cloud, they knew God is with them. And the Bible said in Exodus 19, God spoke from the cloud and gave Moses the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 33, God spoke from the cloud in the Holy of Holies. In the book of Numbers chapter 12, God spoke from the cloud in His judgment against those who rebelled against Moses' leadership. From the cloud, beloved, God sees everything through the Holy Spirit who dwells in the believer. God watches every word we speak. God watches every thought 
we have. God watches every action and reaction. God watches the secret desires in our hearts. Why did Jesus give us the Holy Spirit? He said, go to the Father, send you the Comforter, the Paraclete, and then sure enough, on schedule, 50 days from the resurrection, the Holy Spirit shows up and comes. Why? Let me tell you about how ancient times things work. If a buyer wants to buy a farm, this is how they practice in the old days, after they made an agreement, and it's going to be a while before he occupied that farm, but the owner will cut a piece of turf, and he will throw it in the cloak of the new buyer, the new owner, to assure him, though he never really took possession of it, it's his. If it is a tree farm, like fruit trees, they will break a twig from one of the trees and gives it to him. That is a sign that this belongs to you, even though you're not occupying it yet. In the case of a house, they will give him a set of keys to assure him that this house now belongs to him, even though he had not yet taken possession of it. It was like a deposit. It was like an, an assurance. It was like a, a sign. But all of these things were symbolic that the property now is, belongs to the new buyer, even though he had not taken possessions. And here's where I want to shout again. <laughs> In the New Testament, when the God of all grace gave His children the inheritance of heaven, He gave us the Holy Spirit to assure us of His presence now and for eternity. The Holy Spirit is the turf of our inheritance. The Holy Spirit is that twig from the tree of life. The Holy Spirit is the key to the mansion in the sky. In the Old Testament, we read about how the Holy Spirit came temporarily on somebody to use them to accomplish something for God, and then he goes back to heaven. He did this with Samson. He did this with David. And you hear it, Isaiah and elsewhere in the Old Testament. But for the first time, in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to stay. And He's available to everyone who will come and surrender to Jesus. He's available to you. There's so many people walking in the flesh because they either don't know or undermine the power of the Holy Spirit working in us. The cloud was a symbol of God's protection. The cloud was a symbol of God's presence. Thirdly, the cloud was a symbol of God's provision. Now, break the word provision with me, okay? Pro-vision. Let's do it together. Pro-vision. Pro means ahead, right? He's going ahead of us. Vision means seeing, right? He sees ahead of us. <laughs> And I'm so thankful to the Lord for that, because there are many times when I come and say, Lord, I can't see the future. I don't know what decision to make. Would you help me? And the Lord has already gone ahead of me with His pro-vision guides me. In other words, the Holy Spirit was leading them to His provision, to His direction, to where He wants them to go. The cloud was given to lead them into absolute obedience to God. Please, 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 do yourself a favor and read the book of Numbers, chapter 9, particularly verses 15 to 23. Visualize yourself as the head of an Israelite family. 
who just saw the incredible things that God has done. You got your family together, and you're packed, and you see the cloud moving, so you move. Five hours, you're exhausted. Cloud keeps moving, and you move. The family begins to grumble, and the kids keep asking, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? (laughs) Then all of a sudden, the cloud stops, and so your family starts unpacking. Everybody begins to rest and take time out and maybe sleep and eat and, and rest, feed the children. And then after a few hours or whatever, because we do not know, somebody yells, the cloud is moving, the cloud is moving, the cloud is moving. So you get the kids and you start packing and you start following the cloud. A short period of time later, the cloud stops again. (laughs) You look at your family and you think, you know, guys, let's not unpack. I'm telling you to use your imagination. You're not going to find these details in the Bible, but you'll get the whole story here. And they say, you know what? Let's not unpack. Just let's wait. Let's stay packed so that as soon as the clouds start moving again, we're ready to go. A day goes by. A week goes by. So, gosh, you want to change your clothes. You, know, you want to really rest, so you unpack. And maybe a month or two. I don't know how long it was. Probably the next week. After they unpacked, somebody yells, the cloud is moving, the cloud is moving. So you start moving again. You pack, and you start going. This went on for the entire time in the wilderness. Now, I want to ask you a question. You can yell the answer to me, okay? The question is this. Did God's people rejoice at the fact that the cloud was guiding them and leading them? Did they rejoice? No, God bless you. (laughs) Not on your life. They grumbled, they complained, they murmured at the leading of the cloud. (laughs) And I'm personally convinced, as you read on, uh, given half the chance, you'd have lynched Moses and elected his weaker brother Aaron, who kind of helped them go along, and he could easily manipulated for them to do what they want him to do, as we see later on when they got him to do a golden bull. But like it or not, they had to follow the cloud. And so another question. I'm going to answer that one. If one of the Israelites decided that they just had enough, I've had enough of this, I'm not going to follow the cloud anymore. I am sick and tired of the stop and start and stop and start. What would have happened? They would have been dead in the water, more like dead in the desert, (laughs) in less than 24 hours. Either because of the heat of the day, the freezing temperature at night, or the ferocious animals, or whatever. One way or another, they wouldn't have survived. Another question. What is God doing? Does God in heaven sits there and says, how can I make you miserable? Believe it or not, I heard people say that. (laughs) What is God doing? What is God doing? He was not only protecting them, He was not only providing for them. There's more. There's more. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He was disciplining them. In his wisdom, God was trying to get them to stop being a mob and become great soldiers for the living God. 
God was moving them from self-will and self-centeredness to be conquering soldiers of the promised land. God was moving them from being rebellious people to being conquering people. Why do you think they do this in the military for 40 days? The first 40 days you go to the military. They train you to get the civilian thing out of your system, (laughs) to discipline you to become a military person. Forty days of training. And God is doing this in the spiritual realm. He's doing it in the spiritual realm. Let me speculate a little bit. Probably some don't like the leading of the Holy Spirit because they don't like the discipline. Probably some feel discipline is just inconvenience for you. Some of you saying, well, leave me alone. I I just want to do my thing. Leave me alone. I, I want to be part of this world. Leave me alone. I just want to be like the guy next door. Leave me alone. I don't want to accept responsibility toward the body of Christ. I don't like the conviction of the Holy Spirit in my compromising lifestyle. I don't like the conviction of the Holy Spirit in regard to my money or my time or my talent. Oh, my beloved But the Holy Spirit does this for your good. It's for our good. He is preparing you to reign and rule with Him over the universe. (laughs) And when the Holy Spirit comes, Jesus said in John 16, 8, when the Holy Spirit comes, He will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. God wants us to train us to be soldiers in the army of the living God. Not undisciplined slackers. What would you say? Lead on, Lord. Lead me on. I want to speak to that person who, for one reason or another, beginning to distrust the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And I love to tell stories because they illustrate what I'm trying to say better. Among the American Indians... They had a unique practice in training the young braves. On the night the boy would turn 13 years old, after learning hunting and fishing and scouting, the boy had one final test after his 13th birthday. And that is the boy is placed in a dense forest to spend an entire night all by himself. This would be the very first night ever being away from the family compound. On that particular night, with that particular young man, he was blindfolded, all alone in the middle of the thick woods. The boy was terrified all night. I mean, he was absolutely terrified. Every time a twig would snap, he would visualize a wild animal coming and try to get ready to defend himself. After what seems to be an eternity, dawn broke, and the first ray of sun entered the forest. He took off his blindfold, and he could see the trees, not with clarity, but then he sees what appears to be a man standing a few feet away from him with a bow and arrow ready to go. And so he takes closer look, and closer look, and closer look, and he discovers that he's no other than his own father who stayed up all night watching over his son, protecting his son all night long. Beloved, some of you might be tempted to think that you're alone 
and that God has forsaken you, even though you know biblically and intellectually that He promised never to leave you nor forsake you. Some of you have given up on the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and you're going around getting your advice from the wrong people. The Spirit of your Father is watching over you. He's got a bone arrow waiting. He's protecting you. When you go through the flood and you go through the fire, He's protecting you. He's watching over you. The paraclete has got your back. Will you say to him, lead on. If you had quenched the Holy Spirit, you grieved the Holy Spirit, would you say to him today, forgive me for grieving you, forgive me for quenching you. How can I grieve? And I've done that many times. I do that on a daily basis. I say, Lord, I am sorry if I grieve the Holy Spirit or quench the Holy Spirit. How can I quench and grieve my best friend? You can do that today. Father, you're the searcher of all of our hearts. Your Holy Spirit is the best guide and friend we could ever have. Jesus, you did not leave us comfortless. You gave us the warrior, the paraclete. And Lord, we have no excuse. So I pray that every heart here today, whatever and wherever they are spiritually, only you know that and they do, come with power and great glory. Let his light shine through us, brighter than ever before. For we pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.